Charmed. And welcome back to Let Me Ruin Your Life with me, Serena Shahidi. Hello. How are you? I hope you're well. Um, sorry I missed last week. My bad. My bad, seriously. My microphone broke, okay? That's my excuse. My microphone broke, and I had to get a new one. It had to come in the mail and all that drama. Um, so hopefully the audio is better now because I know that microphone was on her last legs for a bit and you could tell, um, I hope we're sounding good and clear and professional. Um, hopefully my voice sounds okay because by the way, I woke up this morning with just like a half of my bottom lip was so fat, so plump and so like numb. I think I had an allergic reaction to something, which is kind of fun. It's kind of fun to have a symptom or like an ailment that's like non-consequential. It's not painful. It's not really concerning. I probably just ate something that um, my mouth didn't like. I don't know. But then I get to be like, ooh, there's something wrong with me today. That's fun. Something's going on, and it isn't an indication of anything horrible. It's just something that's going on in the moment, and I get to enjoy that, and I get to kind of have fun with it. You don't get to have fun with a lot of things, but um, when your lip is swollen, you can really have some fun with that. Anyway, what did I want to talk about first? Um, I wanted to talk about the Scream franchise, shall we? I recently watched Scream 6 in theaters. Very exciting. Love to watch a movie in the theater. And I was so excited because I went by myself. And everybody knows that going to the movies by yourself is just a blast in general. You don't have to worry about anything. You can sit wherever you want. It's easy. It's simple. And I got to choose where I sat, and I sit in what I like to call the pervert seats, which are in the very back in the corner. I'm sure that's where perverts sit, hence the name. And I'm sure if I maybe took a black light to it, I wouldn't like what I saw. But to not have to worry about anybody behind me, I don't really know why I worry about that. I don't know why that kind of puts me on edge. I don't like anybody to be behind me in life ever. I like to be in the back. I can see everything. Who knows what's going on near the back of my head? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I loved Scream 6. Jenna Ortega Slade. She's wonderful. I love her and I love her bangs. That's what I'll say about my girl, Jenna Ortega. Um... Wow, what a star at so young. I always think that when young people become famous, I'm like, that is crazy that they are a star at such a young age. And then I'm like, oh, right, that's what child stars are. That's like actually a profession. That's like being like, oh, how did that person become a, a doctor in their 30s? You know, that's kind of the time that a lot of people do it when you really think about it. But Scream 6 was so good. It, there were a few jokes that 
I didn't love. There was like a Letterboxd reference. I don't know. I don't need that. I'm on Letterboxd. I enjoy Letterboxd. I enjoy um, reading what a teenager says is problematic about a movie from the 60s. That's really fun for me, and I do enjoy that. But I don't need Letterboxd references in my movies. That being said, loved it in general, and I loved having a horror movie set in New York because it's fun to have a movie set in the city that you live in. Because then you look around at it and you go, oh, I know those streets. I've walked down those streets, actually. Come to think of it. Oh, a movie about NYU students? I think they were NYU. Look at that. I know NYU students. It's relatable. It's compelling. But it's also hard to do a horror movie set in New York. Nobody does it. Nobody does it, which is understandable because the suburbs, they, they're scary in general. Like in New York, if something happens to you, if Ghostface approaches you on the street, you can just be like, hey, guy who's seven feet away from me, do you want to help out here in this situation? There's always people around. So there's that. And there's also the whole ordeal of everything here is so small, so it's not like you can film this whole crazy scene of somebody running around every room in their suburban McMansion. But I think they did a great job with it. There was like a a bodega scene. There was a scene on the train. There was, you know, a few in apartments. It was a lot of fun. And then I got home and of course I was like, now I need to watch the rest of the script. (gasps) Oh my God. Oh my god, a pigeon just landed on my window and scared the shit out of me. That was so... (laughs) Hi! Oh, flew away. Guess we both scared each other. That's the real scream said in New York. That's some real shit. A pigeon aggressively landing on your window, seemingly appearing out of thin air. Um... What was I saying? Oh, I had seen the original Scream, loved it. I was a little scared to see the sequels because I was like, you know, sequels, they ruin things. They do sometimes. I don't want to ruin the integrity of the original Scream by watching all the other ones. But then I saw Six and I said, you know, Jenna Ortega Slade. And I watched Scream 2 through 5 and I loved Loved, loved, loved my experience. It's so comforting to watch horror movies. I think because it's like, this isn't happening to me. And that's nice. It's like when there's a crazy storm outside, but you're inside. So there's a, there's a nice quality about that. You go, there's a, there's a twister outside, but I'm in my apartment. So I can just kind of hang out. Nice. Um, Scream is just, has such a a magical blend of, um, not genres, but I guess elements of horror where there's like, there's the classic scary stuff, there's the gore, the shock value, the jump scares, there's a little bit of the comedy, and I like that they don't overdo it. I don't like the horrors that go, oh my god, this is so silly, this guy is stabbing me. Let there be a scary moment. You can have your jokes in between. You can have your fun. But not not when the killer's out and about. Sorry. 
And there, there's the whole, like, whodunit aspect. You get to find out at the end of the movie who Ghostface was. Yeah, I was just thinking about what Scream does, and I think what Scream does successfully, and what I think a lot of horror movies do unsuccessfully, which is when it gets kind of meta and, like, self-aware of, oh, these are, we're using the tropes of a horror movie, so we're going to talk about the fact that we're using those tropes. Every horror movie now, every character is like, we're in a horror movie. No, 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 don't have sex. The people who have sex get killed. Now we have to be celibate. It's very that. I don't know, I was just thinking about how wrong that can go. Because a lot of the times it's like, a lot of movies do this where they go, we're self-aware. We're a superhero movie, but we're acknowledging that it's like weird for somebody to have powers. And it's like, well, if you were that self-aware, Ryan Reynolds doing Deadpool. Okay. If you were self-aware, Ryan Reynolds doing Deadpool, you wouldn't have made a superhero movie. You're a grown man. It's not better if you're self-aware. You're still making a superhero movie. It's more embarrassing now because you're trying to make it funny. Sorry, I just had to get my, you know, daily Ryan Reynolds hate out. So because horror can get very stale as the years go by, I took the liberty of coming up with a few movie ideas of my own that I would like to share with you guys just straight out of my notes app that um, I think A24 will be contacting me about at least two or three of these. Okay, let's go through these. Let me take a sip of water. Mmm. Hard to swallow with my fat lip, but... Okay, first one. This is kind of a, a scary version of Almost Famous. A remake of sorts. A young boy is assigned to write about a hot new band for Rolling Stone. Almost Famous. Hello. He gets in with the band and its groupies, but he begins to realize that they're all in a cult. And not a fun one, a bad kind of cult, where they kill people and stuff. The band and the groupies, they hold the writer captive on their tour bus, and they're like, we are not going to let you go until you write a very flattering profile on us for Rolling Stone. We want the people to think good thoughts about us, despite the fact that we're a cult and we do kill individuals. The writer refuses to compromise his artistic integrity, so he remains captive until at last he hatches a plan with a friend. He phones a friend and gets that fella to drive a truck in front of the bus, like at a, you know, across a from them. You know what I mean? so that the bus almost crashes and the driver slams on the brakes, sending the kid through the windshield. It's a gruesome and bloody affair, naturally, but he escapes and releases an expose in a victorious ending. <laughs> By the way, that's like word for word the way I wrote it in my notes app. I was not ad-libbing. That's, I wrote down in a victorious ending. I typed that with both of my thumbs, probably. Maybe one. I don't know. Can't remember. Second idea. A young influencer 
get stalked by one of those guys who can see a single picture and figure out exactly where it was taken. She tries and tries to flee from him, but she's under contract to do a lucrative brand deal and she has to keep posting. And they're stipulating that she has to be filming outside because she's like a granola wellness influencer and the product is... um, I didn't write that part. The product, I would say, is like matcha with like... What's that powder? Like spirulina powder mixed in? That's the product. Okay? So she keeps changing locations for her pictures and her vids, and the stalker keeps finding her until her brand deal is over, and she invests her hard-earned matcha money into a studio for her content that's completely sealed from the outside world. But... Of course, the last shot is of her closing the door without locking it, foreshadowing, that's right, a sequel. I think there's also something, there's certainly like a cult movie to be made with like wellness influencers based on them, but I didn't have time to write down every idea in the world. Next one. This one's kind of a rom-com, but it has like a spooky element, so I went ahead and added it. Okay. Two rival florists meet. A girl with a cozy independent shop and a fella who owns a store that is, of course, you know, like a franchise of big flower. The two of them meet and they hate each other. And she takes it upon herself to cast an ancient spell on his flower shop. She's, I mean, a witch, if you didn't assume that already. Um, So the flowers all die and like vines start wrapping around this guy's like body and neck and stuff. And he's like being strangled. She enters the store just to see how it's going, saves him at the last second. And he's like, are you a witch or something? And she says, I sure am. That's right. I cursed your shop and I also put a love spell on you. But it didn't work. And he says, it sure didn't. And she looks away shamefully and bashfully. I didn't write that, but also bashfully. He says, that's because I was already in love with you. I've been in love with you since the moment I saw you. And they kiss. And the last shot is of the vines wrapping around them, again, like the two of them in their embrace, but this time in a romantic way. That, as I said it out loud, I realized um, those are two scenes. That's not really a movie (laughs) so much as um, two scenes with nothing in between them. So, you know, short film. We're adapting. We're adapting. We love to adapt. Next one. This is... A modern siren's tale. A female comedian uses her beautiful comedy to lure men to her. By the way, I know this sounds like it was based on me, but um, I don't put in enough work or do enough stand-up for this to be based on me. But, you know, um, drawing from some real-life experiences, she lures men to her, and then she kills them. I don't kill men, to be clear. Detectives try to find her at her show, 
but they, of course, get killed as well. They fall for it too. Why wouldn't they? The police try to take her in for questioning, but she starts doing bits and they all fall in love and let her go. And by the way, the detectives in this town are like all male, so they don't really know what to do. They're all men because of sexism. Um, everybody's falling under her spell. Finally, one night, she performs, gets off stage, and somebody goes, you know, an audience member or another comic says, you always kill. And we hear, no, I do. And the youngest, scrappiest detective is holding a gun. She says, what? How are you not seduced by me? And he says, newsflash, I'm gay. And she dies. Okay, last one. I'm killing it. I really, after I post this, every call I get, I'm going to be like, this is A24. This is an unsaved number, so it must be A24. Okay, there's a demon on a carnival cruise ship that begins to steer the ship towards, like, away from the shore where they're supposed to land, maybe towards the Bermuda Triangle or, like, something fun like that. They're out on the sea much longer than expected, obviously, you know, the demon steering. And then the demon starts possessing people one by one to jump into the ocean, to, like, strangle themselves with the boat ropes. And especially as food starts to run out, this demon makes people start eating each other, okay? And I wrote down my idea for one scene in particular that I'm picturing where a girl is in the pool. She's just kind of splashing around and trying to get her mind off of the goings-on, the demonic happenings, if you will. And she hears a demon-possessed cannibal coming her way, and she hides underwater, and the cannibal is lingering, and she has to keep holding her breath underwater, and she almost drowns under there. But right at the last second, the cannibal walks away, and she doesn't. And, of course, that is Miss Final Girl, who uses the tattered remains of the ship to escape on a door or something Titanic style. I wrote down, I got kind of lazy with the ending there. So those are my horror movie ideas. Please let me know what you think. Please, um, only if it's positive, or if you have any additional ideas that you think might increase the value of these if I show up to a studio or something. I honestly... I was writing these down and I was like, oh my God, these are so silly. And then I just read them out loud right now. And I thought maybe they are silly, but also they're brilliant. Anyway, God, I think my lip is getting fatter. Let me see. Mm, it's about the same. I hope it goes down. I have a dinner tonight. I have a dinner. I'm going to show up with a fat lip an asymmetrical fat lip. But okay, I wanted to talk about a few, you know, a bit of a life update, a few new experiences that I've had this week, two things I've done that I've never done before. First of all, and this will shock many, many people, but I have to admit it, I have to get it off my chest. I did attend an improv class. I'm addressing the allegations 
and I am here to confirm them. I did go to an improv class. Let me explain. Because for the longest time, like many of us, I was very anti-improv. I mean, most of my knowledge of improv, I wasn't like, you know, I didn't have a million friends at UCB. Most of my knowledge of improv came from like high school improv, which by the way, I did audition for in high school and I did not make the team. But good for me because looking back, what did I want to be on a high school improv team? Jesus. So that was my knowledge of improv. And I was like, oh my God, God forbid I do. I voluntarily do something like that as an adult. That's shameful. I thought that was sort of my stance. And um, it also didn't help that when I first moved to New York, somebody asked me out on a first, somebody took me to an improv show for a first date. I don't know if I can think of a worst first date. Maybe like a hitman taking you on one of his missions. I don't know. That's a terrible, I mean, it's, first of all, to go to any sort of show on a first date. No, no. A show, a movie, the opera, Broadway, whatever, I don't care. Not appropriate for a first date. So what, you can sit next to each other and say nothing? And then people people talk about it and they're like, oh, that's nice because then you have something to talk about afterwards. This is somebody you hardly know that you're meeting and you think you have nothing to talk about with them. Why don't you ask where they went to school and if they have siblings? How about that? How about you talk about literally anything because you don't know anything about this person and every topic is open. Anyway, um, all that to say, I went to a bad improv show freshman year of college, but I changed my mind about improv relatively recently, not in a way where I'm going to go to a class every week or I'm going to start going to improv shows, but I'm more open-minded now. Because I have met people recently who do improv, who are like cool and funny. So I thought, you know what? Let's give it a shot. I texted my friend and I was like, would it be crazy if I went to an improv class? And she was like, I know a great one. Let me text the guy who teaches it. And we went. First thing I'll say, I felt great because I was the youngest and the tallest person in the room. That's an amazing feeling. Don't get me wrong, I can't wait to be the oldest person in the room, but there's nothing worse than being the second youngest person in the room. You want to be anything except the second youngest person in the room. That's the worst feeling of all. When you're like, I'm young, and I'm stupid, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm not even the youngest person in here. I can't even have the most collagen in the room. I can't even have that. That's upsetting. So I was the youngest, and I was the tallest. I was wearing five-inch platforms. Whatever, it counts. Um, And what I learned, what I learned kind of blew my mind because I was like, okay, improv is about, you know, you try to tell a good joke in the moment. Whatever, easy peasy. Like, I've had a conversation before, and I make people laugh at parties. That must be what improv is. I think I could figure that out. Hello. As it turns out, improv is not really about being funny. I mean, it's about being funny in the same way that like acting is about being funny, which is like, yeah, it's good if there's a funny moment, but that's not really the point in general. And 
what I discovered about myself is that I am good at making jokes in the moment. I'm good at coming up with a good line in the moment, but moving a scene along is the hard part. That's so hard, especially because all the jokes you want to make in the moment are going to kill the scene. Like you have to yes and you can't just be like, no. If somebody's like, do you want to do this thing? You can't be like, I don't want to. Like, you have to be very positive to keep it going. (laughs) I mean, come on. And it's just... Like, at one point, I asked my scene partner a question during the scene, and the teacher was like, don't ask a question, make a guess. That, oof, that's hard. A girl can't even ask a question in that scene. Improv is so difficult. I'm sure everybody else knows this information, but I feel like when people talk about how difficult improv is, they're like, oh my God, to be funny in the moment, to be funny in the moment, whatever. As I've said, if you've talked to a person before, you have the ability to be funny in the moment. Actually, that's not true. I just remembered most of the people I've talked to in my life, that doesn't really apply to, but you know what I mean. Yeah, so I have a much higher impression of improv now because I've always been like oh I would love to be a comedy writer and then I realized like oh a comedy writer isn't just about coming up with like oh here's a good one-liner write that in like a comedy writer still has to figure out plots and stuff and where a scene is going oh I can't imagine that's tough yikes But the one thing I will say, the one thing I haven't changed my mind about is that watching improv is not worth it. For me personally, anyway, if there are any improvers listening to this, but it's just one of those things where it's like, it's a skill that's good to have, but it's not a skill to show off necessarily, you know, not in that context of like being on a stage and being like, give me a word, unless you're an absolute expert. It's just, I don't know. To me, an improv show almost feels like if you were to take like a coding boot camp and learn how to learn Python or whatever it is they do, and then you put on a show where you're just kind of typing code on your laptop and it's projected onto a screen and people pay $5 to get in. Like, that doesn't really make sense to me. I understand why you're learning how to code. It's a great skill. I'm so glad you're using it. I'm sure you'll do amazing with it. But not everybody needs to see it. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I haven't seen the best improv, but I have seen, like clips of um, like Amy Poehler and Tina Fey's improv, which is amazing to see. And it takes so much talent and so much work and mastery of the craft. That being said, would I rather watch Tina Fey do improv or would I rather watch 30 Rock? Come on now. Come on now. So that was my experience with improv. I did have fun and I have a much higher opinion now. And the other new experience that I had this past week, which I'll keep brief because I don't have a ton to say about this, but I will say that I did go to Equinox for the first time. For the first time in my life, um, my friend took me there and I had my first ever Equinox experience. 
And the main thing I learned from that, maybe this is common sense, it probably is as I'm thinking about it, but my discovery was that going to Equinox, almost no part of it, almost no part of the process of the visit of anything is about working out. Working out is maybe 15% of the experience. We, my friend and I did like a little, you know, we kind of stretched and did like 20 minutes on the, the elliptical. And then it was like, we're going in the sauna. We're taking a shower. We're moisturizing with those Kiehl's products. We're blow drying our hair. It's this whole thing. And by the way, if you don't know what Equinox is, because I feel like I never hear anybody talk about it who's not in New York or L.A., it's a fancy gym. It's like a few hundred a month, I think, and like celebrities go there and stuff, and it's very fancy. It's nice. It's like a huge building, and the actual workout areas are mm, maybe the size of a CVS. Maybe that big. Like... Even space-wise, it's not about working out at all. The locker room is probably, just the women's locker room alone, is probably the size of, like, all of the exercise, whatever. There are, like, offices and a little merch shop and places to buy your juice and all. It's, like, a whole ordeal for just a little workout. Nobody was working out hard in the equinox. Everybody was sort of walking on a treadmill and being like, when am I going to use those Kiehl's products? Um, that being said, I know it sounds like I'm complaining. And in many ways, I am. But I'm kind of all here for it. Every other gym is so bare bones. It's like, come on in, work out, get out. Equinox is like, come in. You're going to have an experience. We're going to have fun. Are you going to work out? Mm, it depends on your perspective. Very that. Um, and I also did the sauna, which is nice. The saunas are like kind of a pleasure pain thing because they're not fun in the moment. And I hate how everybody in a sauna acts like they're relaxed in that moment. No. The point of a sauna is how you feel afterwards. You feel good. You, what? A, I don't think the science really holds up, but allegedly you sweat out toxins. There's no way that's true. But you do feel good afterwards. Or no, it wasn't a sauna. It was a steam room. Both are uncomfortable. But in a steam room, like you feel like you're having an asthma attack because of how much water is in the air. You can't see. Your contacts are falling out of your eyes. So that moment was not fun. But that post-steam room, that post-steam room feeling, that post-steam room glow, oh, great. I feel great afterwards. The only thing I didn't like at Equinox was the people. I'll tell you that right now. I did not like the people. Everybody there ignores each other. And I don't mean that in the regular way of, people say, like, everyone in New York ignores each other. And it's like, well, yeah, there are millions of people in this city. You're passing by like 20 people on one block. What are you supposed to do? Say hi to all of them? Like, what does that even mean? But at Equinox, people truly ignore each other. 
like not one person made eye contact with me. You walk past people directly in their line of sight, they are like, everybody is looking in front of them at where they're walking as if they're in a trance, as if like the wall in front of them is pulling them towards it. It's so odd. That blank-faced Equinox stare. If you go to Equinox, please let me know um, what's in your mind when you're there. Do you enter like a fugue state? Because that seemed to be what was happening with people. No judgment. I just love to know. Okay, I need to talk about something. I urgently need to talk about something that I was gonna, this was a thing that I was so excited to talk about last week, and then my microphone broke, and I was like, I'm just gonna have to monologue about this to myself in my bed, which I guess is what I would have been doing anyway, but with a microphone. Um, oh, okay. I recently got invited to the New York premiere of a movie called One True Loves, a romance. It's a romance movie. It is based on a Taylor Jenkins Reid book. Shout out to her. That's my girl. Um, Didn't read that book personally, but uh, that's my girl from the two books I've read from her. And this movie, I don't know how to describe it, but I'm going to try my best. Let me start with the plot. And I don't think any of this is spoilers because I watched the trailer to make sure that I wasn't hallucinating the movie. And all of this is in there. Okay, here's the plot. A woman is married to a man, her husband, and they're very, like, spontaneous. Like, we travel. She's, like, a travel blogger or photographer. He, he, like, wants to film a documentary. I guess that's his occupation, is wanting to film a documentary. He gets the opportunity to film a documentary, and he goes... Um, all right, I'm going to be flying away on a helicopter to Alaska. He flies away to Alaska. She gets a call. Your husband's been in a helicopter crash. Um, he is presumed dead. Wah, wah, you know. By the way, this is kind of irrelevant, and I don't even know if it's accurate, but one of my friends pointed it out afterwards. They say that he's going to Alaska, and then in a brief flashback scene, they show him, like, um, you know, crashing and landing in the water, and he does appear to be, like, on a tropical island. So, I don't know. Who knows? Um, Maybe they lived in Australia at the beginning of the movie, and I just missed that. She gets that call. Oh, so sad, so sad. Four years later, she's moved on. She's engaged to a new man, played by Simu Liu, who I guess is a big... He's one of those actors who people are like, how do you not know who that is? And then you look them up and it's like, oh, they're in Marvel movies. That's how I don't know who they are. Yeah, I must have missed those. I don't know how that could have happened. He plays the fiancé. We'll get to him. Anyway, she gets another call one day. (laughs) Never, never a good sign for this woman Um, from her dead husband being like, hello, guess who's back? I made it out. And she's like, oh, my God, my dead husband is back. And she like goes and hangs out with him. And then it becomes this whole thing of, well, who does she choose? 
Does she commit to getting married to her fiancé? Does she continue to be the wife to her dead husband? I mean, I can't tell you what she picks, but let's just say it's a wild ride. Anyway, Simu Lu, as the fiancé, very funny. He is the character that is both um, the best by far, but also completely threw me off, because without his role, this movie would be a lifetime movie. Or like... I don't know if Hallmark really covers helicopter crashes, but if they did, it would be a Hallmark movie. It would be very that. And then, you know, the fiancé character comes in, and it feels very in on the joke. There are some great lines. There, There's one scene with him in particular where it keeps, like, cutting back and forth um, to it, and it keeps, like, escalating, and it's very funny. But without that the vibe would have changed to an amount that I can't even begin to describe. That being said, still a very funny movie overall. I don't know if it was intentional, but there were a couple of moments where I was like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'm going to try not to laugh because half the people in this room have worked on the movie. And I don't know if it was intentional or not. My favorite scene. Oh my God. The woman, um, the woman, the main character who I'm not really talking about because she has no discernible personality traits. And the whole time I'm like, this role could have gone to like a scented candle. She is with her dead husband and they're like reuniting and they're talking about, oh, it's so, you know, nice to see you again. Oh, you're not dead. That's lovely. And he's like, oh, what's that on your wrist? He finds a tattoo And I forget, I wish I remembered exactly what the tattoo said, exactly what the wording was, but it was something along the lines of, I moved on. And it's so funny. Imagine surviving on a deserted island for four years, and then you come back to your wife, and she has a tattoo that's like, over it. (laughs) Sorry, I was sad, but no tears left to cry. Ariana Grande. That was my favorite scene. My favorite line was, I think it was from the fiance. And he goes, this song is called your song on account of that. It's for you. And it just sounded so much like a Norm Macdonald joke that I was like about to combust in my seat. I was turning purple. I was kicking my feet. It was too much for me. Um, Another fascinating thing about this movie, there is just something that looks very off visually with it. And I would love if I knew more about film so I could play stuff like that. Like, why does this movie look like this? And then other movies look like they were made intentionally. You know what I mean? If anybody does know about film, by the way, another request for the listeners Watch the trailer, One True Loves, on YouTube.com. Come back to me. Tell me what was the matter with it visually, because I would love to know. And it may have been, like, the set design and the costumes as well, perhaps. Because I there is one moment where the main character with no discernible personality traits is like, I'm going to wear this. And her, her sassy sister is like, no, you're not come back in a dress and then she comes back in a dress and it's like this 
cotton. It's a cute dress. You know what I mean? It's cute. It's cute. It's a cotton dress. Which she was about to reunite with her dead husband. Nothing wrong with a cotton dress. Great for a picnic. Not great for reuniting with your dead husband. He survived four years for you. You know? Eating probably turtles and stuff. I don't know. Put on some silk chiffon. Um, and she has that dress on. And her sister goes, And I love the color. And I, I had Tess with me. And we just looked at each other. Just silently acknowledging the color was like a a rusty pink that almost blended with her skin tone it was not her moment it was a low point for her but i am just still wrestling with the question of whether or not this movie was self-aware or not i really couldn't tell there were points where i was like oh they know what they're doing and there were points where i was like huh and what also threw me off is the director gave a speech before and the speech was like genuinely funny. I was like, this movie is going to be genuinely funny. And then it seemed to be very unintentionally funny. Plus, I believe the director, he also made like, she's the man or something. Something good. A classic. But this movie, it just had a vibe that was impossible to place. That's what I said. I did a, a letterbox review. I think I may have been the first letterboxed review um from somebody who actually watched the movie because there are a few that are like love this casting can't wait as if people care but um my friends and i the next day were like we are refreshing rotten tomatoes and waiting for the reviews to come in and they still haven't really there may be a couple i'm on rotten tomatoes i'm on letterboxd i am refreshing i can't wait to see what the people have to say. Because I don't know if I have words for it myself. This bizarre, like, romance, hallmark, dramedy. I honestly, I kind of think it was, I kind of think everything was intentional. And I kind of think everybody involved in that movie is a goddamn genius. And I need everybody to watch it when it comes out. Take your friends take your family. Again, I'm not saying it's a good movie. I personally, I can't tell. If it is a good movie, I'll tell you what, it's a great movie. If it's good, it's great. So as soon as you can, I don't know when it comes out in theaters or, or on streaming or whatever, run, don't walk, and then come back and immediately tell me every thought you had while watching it. I have to know. Okay, let's move on to advice. We'll do one question because I have to get my hair cut after this. I have to get my hair cut after this. The one question. Okay, how to motivate yourself to accept invitations slash go out when you'd rather lay in bed and rot? Oh, oh, of course. The classic question, the classic dilemma I've certainly been there. I'm not really there recently. I have been going out kind of a lot lately, which is partially just we're getting into spring now. There's a lot more going on. I'm just receiving more invitations. And also, you know what? I've been getting a lot more clothing. Some gifted by friends. Some bought myself on Poshmark.com naturally. 
And that has really inspired me. If you have like a new garment or a new accessory or even because you don't obviously like don't buy something new every time you want to go out. But if you have like a new outfit that you've put together out of stuff you already have, a little combination that you've never tried, that can inspire you. A new makeup look, a new um, a new hairstyle, or just something like just something small that you can be excited for. If you're like bringing a bottle of wine, try bringing a new kind of wine that you've heard good things about. Maybe you're excited for people to try it. Or here's an easy one: come armed with like a new line to say maybe to hot people. Or a new line when, like, somebody asks you a question that you don't want to answer. That's an exciting thing to look forward to. I always love that. I love coming up with a new thing to say. And then getting to say it? That's one of the most exciting things about life. You get to choose what to say, and then you can choose when to say it. What power we have. Isn't that crazy? Unless you're talking to, you know, 16-year-olds on TikTok, in which case you cannot say anything. Um, Another tip, here's a possibly the most effective tip of all. Say yes to something where you know hot people will be there. There's no better motivator than hot people, okay, in the world. There really isn't. That's why they're in advertising. That's why we go see certain movies. That's why we pretend to care about certain celebrities, Hot people, the power of that, the power of hot people. Let's just sit, let's just sit in that power for a moment. Yeah. Did you feel that? Because I felt that. I, I really did feel that. I feel like we've all had those moments where we're like, oh, I'm so bored by that. I don't want to be at this party. I don't want to be in this bar. And then, you know, like a, six foot four guy wearing tweed shows up and it's like, oh, hello, I'm alert and I'm having a great time. I love to go out. I love to be out with my friends and I love to have fun. This is so fun. I don't know what just happened. What character was that? Who was she? I kind of love her. She's fun. Um, you could also make it kind of an acting exercise. Like either go armed with like a lie like this is what I'm gonna tell everybody tonight especially if you're going somewhere where you don't know everybody who's gonna be there if you're going somewhere where um only your friends are gonna be there maybe you can be like oh this crazy thing happened to me on the way here uh this truck ran me over and then I got um I got smushed and I got flattened into a cardboard cutout but then a guy kicked me really hard and it turned me 3d again I don't know, like something fun. Or you could go somewhere that's very not you and like try to just kind of try to observe your surroundings, maybe try to fit in a little bit. That is my favorite activity. It really is. In the right settings, at something like improv class, that's a little difficult. But at like a a classy party, when you for example, grew up in the suburbs of North Carolina and still don't know which fork to use, that is a good time. It used to make me so anxious, but now it's so 
much fun. And I feel like I'm kind of out of place everywhere. Like, I don't think people think of me as like a house party girl, but they also don't really think of me as like a Miss Gala, Miss Thing going to the galas. And in a way, I'm both and neither. So going to like classy events or going to influencer parties, <laughs> the premieres have been fun. Like those are so much fun to me because I don't go in being like, oh, I have to, you know, I have to network and do the right thing and say the right things. And I hope I'm wearing the right things and, you know, a, a whole lot of stuff about things. I just go in and I'm like, let's see what I can get away with tonight. I'm going to hit that open bar and I'm going to see what's up with this crowd. Let's find out. Can I fit in here? Can I perhaps stand out here? Can I convince people I'm from a country I can't even spell? That's the fun of going out. So that's what I would recommend because it's whatever to be to tell yourself like, if I go out, I'll feel better. If I leave my apartment and hang out with my friends, I'm going to feel better. But that doesn't really work. Like, there are a million things that could make me feel better. How many of them am I doing? One and a half, maybe? I'm sure a cold plunge would make me feel great. I'm not doing that shit. Are you kidding me? So, you know, trick yourself. Make it a fun little game. Last thing, my sort of media of the week I've been listening to audiobooks. I'm halfway through Natasha Leggero's new book, The World Deserves My Children, which is her a, a memoir of sorts about the past few years for her. And she had a baby recently, I think at 42. She had her eggs frozen, had a baby, big lifestyle change because she and her husband are both comedians. So it goes into that. It goes into like, you know, having a baby at this point in history. And once again, I'm halfway through, but I'm having fun with it right now. I love Natasha Leggero. She's so funny. She's so glamorous. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to read her book. And the other book that I did finish is Scandals of Classic Hollywood by Anne Helen Peterson, which is written, I think, by like a, a BuzzFeed journalist or something. And it is what it sounds like. It's about scandals of classic Hollywood. And I went into it being like, there are, I'm sure there are things I already know in this. And there were Fatty Arbuckle, Judy Garland. I've heard it all before. But there was a lot in that book that I didn't really know, especially about silent film stars. I don't really, I never got into silent films, partially because the people in them, like, aren't really hot. Like, there are so many, oh my god, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s. There are so many sexy people on the silver screen. You better believe it. Silent era, not so much. For people who didn't talk, they weren't really lookers either. And also, who wants to watch a silent film? Nobody. Maybe a few. I believe that, um, I believe that there are maybe 35 people on God's green earth, who would genuinely enjoy watching a silent film. I think everybody else who says that they like it are lying. And don't get offended if you listen to this and you genuinely like silent films, because that just means you're one out of those 35. Um, so I didn't really know a lot about silent film stars. And one of the most interesting things I found out was about the star 
Wallace Reed, who was sort of, I mean, I don't know how to phrase this in a way that isn't going to sound bad, but he was sort of like the first, oh, I don't think this sounds bad, the first celebrity who was like famously addicted to drugs, right? He was um, injured in an accident, I think on set or something, prescribed morphine. And this was pre the heyday of like giving stars meth and calling it vitamin shots. So he got morphine and got addicted to it naturally. And at the time there were no like rehabs or anything. There was no real help for addiction. It just over time like completely weakened his body and eventually he got sick and died in the hospital. And then through his legacy, a lot of progress was made in terms of um, talking about drug addiction and what can be done to help. I didn't know that. Tragic story, but I'm glad at the very least that it raised awareness and shout out to Wallace Reed. So if you want a good juicy book about Hollywood, I think this is a, a pretty decent one. I do need to read, I think it's called Tinseltown. I need to read that next. I've heard really good things about that. Maybe I'll listen this coming week, but that's all I have to talk about today. I have to go get my hair cut. I hope you had fun listening and I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.